production and distribution of City Club forums on IdeaStream Public Media are made possible by PNC and the United Black Fund of Greater Cleveland Incorporated. Good afternoon and welcome to the City Club of Cleveland, where we are devoted to conversations of consequence that help democracy thrive. It's Friday, August 18th, and I'm Zaria Johnson, reporter and producer at IdeaStream Public Media, and we are broadcasting live, outdoors, under the chandelier here at Playhouse Square. Thank you. It is the third forum in City Club's Free Friday Forums this August, ahead of their move into the, their new Playhouse Square headquarters next month. If you'd like to learn more about the City Club's move, please visit cityclub.org. And if you've ever wanted to come to a Friday Forum, we would be delighted to see you right here next Friday, same time, same place. Today, the topic is climate change's role in the air we breathe. Since May, more than 5,000 fires have ravaged Canada, causing environmental issues in several parts of North America. The 2023 wildfire season has already eclipsed Canada's previous annual record, with more than a month left in the season. Smoke from wildfires spreads quickly, crossing international borders and clouding skylines across the Midwest and Northeast. People at higher risk for smoke-related health issues, such as the elderly, children, and those with pre-existing conditions were affected the most. As with many of these effects of climate change, the effects of unhealthy air quality are disproportionately shouldered by low-income and minority communities. For some, staying indoors was not an option. As climate change becomes an ongoing issue in the lives of all Americans, we must examine what, we, what can be done to lessen the negative impact it has on our environment, our homes, and our most vulnerable populations. Here to discuss this is Grace Gallucci, Executive Director and CEO of the Northeast Ohio Area-Wide Coordinating Agency, or NOACA. Brian Sokolowski, Chief of Monitoring with the Cleveland Department of Public Health's Division of Air Quality, and Divya Sridhar, Manager of Climate Resiliency with, and Sustainability at Cleveland Neighborhood Progress. If you have a question for our panelists, you can text it to 330-541-5794. That's 330-541-5794. And City Club staff will try their best to work it into the second half of the program. Members and, staff, members and friends of the City Club of Cleveland, please join me in welcoming Grace Gallucci, Brian Sokolowski, and Divya Sridhar. Hi, thank you for being here. Um, it seems like a good day to be talking about air quality since we may have a couple of air quality concerns popping up today, it sounds like. Um, but I want to start by kind of asking a good intro question to set the stage for why we're here today. And I know many of us here, if not all of us here, were and are affected by the wildfire smoke in Canada. Um, but can you all explain for us how these wildfires start or how climate change contributes to or creates these wildfires? Divya, maybe we start with you. Sure. Um, thank you. Uh, thank you for having me here today. Um, uh, as, a, as a mom, as an aunt um, of children who have asthma and as a fellow asthmatic myself, I think it, it's very relevant for me um, and for our um, community here to talk about the air quality impacts. Um, 
just want to set something here. Um, if one of our um, friend, partners, colleagues, John Mittenhoser were here, he would always start off grounding us in the fact that if Ohio was a country, um, it would rank number 21, I think, in the highest uh, air quality, um, I'm sorry, um, carbon dioxide emissions. Um, and that is really important for us to set the stage as we talk about climate change and its impacts. Um, um, and um, uh, global warming. Mm -hmm. um, is true, climate change is true as we all sit here and talk about some of these things and how it directly impacts us. Um, again, um, why is this important? How does this happen? Um, urban, um, with rising temperatures, increasing change in patterns of precipitation, dryness all around. Um, these things are hard for us to grapple with. At, um, we've, been, we've evolved at a um, state where we adapt to certain um, situations with all these changes coming up front and suddenly it's hard for us to anticipate what to expect and how we manage these things um, with um, the our, our actions, human patterns, um, our legacy city that we've been in and similar cities with our manufacturing, our um, transportation patterns have you know, caused high um, emissions and it's important for us to um, think about how we uh, manage some of these things as we move forward as it impacts our um, air quality. We've had them, we've felt them the last few days. Um, the, the dryness in the air um, and the um, Dead wood um, in places can easily cause, um, with a slight human interruption, can cause um, uh, wildfires way more easily than they were in the past. Um, what started off in Canada on the northwest side has now started to come further east and further down. The jet stream patterns have changed substantially. They carry those smoke um, um, the, uh, and adding um, to our pollution um, and making it much harder here in Northeast Ohio to breathe from fires that have happened several thousands of miles. So it's really important for us to pin that reality that these things are heavily interconnected. Human action and air quality and climate change are important for us to address right now as we begin to find adaptation pathways for us to um, live safely and comfortably um, in this place. And is this, are these wildfires, this wildfire smoke, is it something that we're gonna have to get used to here in Northeast Ohio, Grace, Brian? In terms of getting used to, I would say I hope not. Um, but I do know that we would never have expected this, we would never have even been talking about this a year ago. Um, so there is that risk, there's that danger. And most concerning to me is we live very close to a a national park, um, and, and I'm very, very concerned that at some point that will be a risk as well, mm -hmm. both for losing the national park as well as the negative air quality impacts that it would have. And is there any way, I mean, when we think about preventing wildfires in Canada, that's probably out of our control, but when we think about potentially preventing wildfires here in Northeast Ohio in our metro parks or our national park, is there a way to go about doing that? It's, it's uh, very important to have a well-managed uh, forest floor, uh, and it's, I don't think it's going to be as much of an issue for us locally. Um, you need to have long, extended dry periods, um, and you also have to have the unmanaged forest as well. Uh, but there could certainly be a fire, uh, but I think with you know, Canada's much larger 
it's, uh, you know, right now the size of Alabama has burned in Canada. Wow. That's uh, more than the five previous years of Canada wildfires this year alone this far. So that's a lot of forest that's burned. Wow. So it sounds like we have to step up the prevention now yes. to avoid it, anything from happening. Grace, I know that NOACA has the um, air quality warnings when there might be bad air quality days because of smoke or anything else. Can you tell us how NOACA is gathering that data and what those warnings mean in terms of how residents should be acting or reacting to those warnings? Yeah, so NOACA puts out what we refer to as air quality advisory advisories, and um, on those days, we have taken information that has been gathered by Ohio EPA. We have 12 monitoring sites across the, the it's eight counties that we have as our footprint for air quality, um, but there are the monitoring sites, and then we take that data and determine at what level it is unsafe, and unsafe um, looking at different levels of safety, everything from, um, you know, just wanting to make sure people who are asthmatic are staying indoors, so the sensitive population uh, staying indoors, to everyone staying indoors. The Canadian wildfires was a good example of everyone really needed to stay indoors if they could. Um, we, we, when we do issue an air quality advisory, we ask that people join in altering their behavior to help those and to, to help those that need to stay in, excuse me, indoors or, or that, you know, we can um, lessen the impact on them. We ask that people um, not fuel their tanks until after dark. We ask them to not mow their lawns. We ask them if you can avoid driving today, don't drive. Um, take the public transit system, walk, bike, or telecommute. And yeah, thank you for that. <laughs> um, can, it sounds like these wildfire smoke air advisory days weren't very common before this summer, um, but I'm wondering what are some other like contributors to having those air quality advisory days here in Northeast Ohio? You know, be before we say that though, I did do a 20-year, 20 20, 23 year analysis before coming here, and um, the highest exceedance days we have ever had um, have been 31, and that was back in 2002. And we've had some higher ones in 2012, that time period. Then we got lower. This year, we've already had over 20. Wow. Wow. So that really sets the standard, huh, mm -hmm. of how far off we are now. Right. If you look at the average, even with those high days, it's about 11. Mm, wow. And when it comes to those causes, are we thinking it might be emissions or what, what's causing it here in Northeast Ohio? Uh, the ones that uh, Grace was mentioning, uh, that's the wildfire driving uh, those exceedances of PM25. Uh, it's not abnormal for us to get one or two exceedances of the standard uh, for PM2.5 a year. Those typically happen in the fall you have uh, air inversions, uh, but we typically don't see the levels of wildfire smoke that we have this year. Like le last year, last couple of years, we've seen some uh, days that we have seen high readings from the fires, but the fires this year are just so 
uh, much greater in, in size uh, that it's, it, it's affecting us that much more. And Brian, can you explain for us what PM 2.5 is and sort of what's the risk of you know, being outside when that's out in the air? Yeah, I'll be happy to. So uh, PM 2.5 is fine particulate. It's particulate that's less than 2.5 micrometers. Just to give some idea of size, uh, human hair, the diameter of a human hair is between 50 and 70 micrometers. So we're talking 2.5 micrometers. Very tiny particles travel very far in the atmosphere. Um, that's the reason why we see uh, these particles affecting us. Um, we have seen previous years um, during some very high winds in the Saharan Desert that that dust gets all the way to us as well. So um, that's you know how fine we're talking. It's primarily from the combustion of fossil fuels. Uh, it can be from construction activity, uh, agricultural, um, unpaved roadways, that kind of stuff. But primarily fossil fuel is the biggest driver, uh, fossil fuel combustion. Uh, and why it's so harmful is it's, it, can get, it can go into the bloodstream through the lungs. Uh, it's that fine. And, that's, and uh, there's a lot of studies going on right now about understanding more of the uh, health effects. Mm -hmm. And what, I mean, what precautions can people take? Let's say people have to be outside. When we think about people who might work outside or even um, like needing to walk your dog, are, are you recommending masking or what, what do you do if you have to go outside? Well, well, I think at first, you know, we want to limit exposure. Try to limit your exposure as much, much as you can. Um, the normal, you know, surgical mask does not work for fine particulate. You would need an N95 uh, tight-fitting mask. So um, that's, that's something we would want you to talk with, with your doctor. If you have health conditions, you have pulmonary conditions, asthma, that's something you really want to take it, you know, look at. Uh, but, um, you know, limit exposure, keep yourself inside, um, and that's really the main things. Got it. And experts are saying, you know, that if we don't take climate action, these effects of climate change, like wildfires, severe rain events, things like that are going to just keep happening and keep getting worse. And I know that the city and NOACA are both either have a climate action plan currently or are engaging in a climate action planning process to develop one. So how are you all sort of factoring in air quality maintenance, air quality mitigation into those plans? Yeah, I can start. Um, NOACA began its climate planning process to specifically develop a plan about 18 months ago. And because we are responsible for transportation and environmental planning in the five-county region, we use the five-county as our footprint, and we looked at transportation emissions as the most um, uh, the ones, first of all, they're the highest in the United States in terms of sector, uh, but they thought they were, those were the ones that we could impact the most. Um, so we started planning for uh, looking at different scenarios that would suggest how much we could reduce the, um, you know, the negative air quality by various actions related to transportation. And we've built some of that into our long-range plan. So we do have in the long-range plan, for example, a mode share shift 
where we currently have about 94% of people driving, uh, taking trips um, in, a, in, a, in, in an automobile. And we are proposing that by 2050, our long range plan end date, um, that we go to 89%. So we have a 5% mode share shift from you know, cars to people taking public transit to people biking and walking. That's huge. Doesn't sound like a lot, but it's a lot. Uh, we also have actions in our long-range plan that talk about transit-oriented development uh, relative to land use. St so start thinking about where do people live, where do people work, how can we build both um, economic and commerce centers as well as residential areas around public transit using particularly something like the red line, the blue line, the green line, that are permanent structures, the BRT. How do we continue to um, use that infrastructure that we are so fortunate to have in a way that reduces the impact on the environment? So that's how we started it, as we have now evolved in the climate uh, planning process. We're looking even beyond that because as uh, Brian stated earlier, some of the risks associated with our air quality really come from a broader climate issue. Mm -hmm. And uh, you know, NOACA is working on the regional climate action plan. The city of Cleveland is working on theirs as well. Uh, that's being done out of the Office of Sustainability uh, and uh, they are they had a climate action plan. Uh, they're working on a new one right now. It's really focused on air quality. Um, you know, when they started the process a year ago, wildfire smoke wasn't even on their radar. Right. Now it's going to be a, a part of that. Uh, and it's really, you know, coming up with climate resiliency options for the city. Yeah, of course. Can I just add to that a little bit. Um, the other thing is when we talk about climate action plan, um, these things are not siloed. They're not talking just about climate action. This is about public health. This is about um, transportation um, you know, density. It's about um, how we construct. It's about a whole range of things that we look together um, at breaking the silos, doing synergistic work because we have much less resources that have to go a long way. So we really have to find those partnerships to happen in place. So thinking about the cities, just to talk about your uh, planning process, it's, it's really an equity issue. So thinking about the 15-minute walk city that really addresses some of these things, um, bringing together several of our plans, like the 15-minute walk city, the 10-minute to walk park plan, the 100% the, um, um, renewable energy plan, thinking about all those, the green infrastructure plan, thinking of the Cleveland Tree Coalition plans, sort of um, all of us being stakeholders in all these things and not saying that we're each, each one's going to drive to their lane is also just as important as having a plan and then in terms of our implementation strategy to really work forward. And I think that's where uh, we have these beautiful plans that we need all our partners, private, public, and our financial institutions to really step up the game and see that economic development happens when workers are happy, workers are healthy, um, otherwise, we have OSHA reports coming about OSHA reports coming around um, the heat impacts, air quality, compounded impacts. All these things are going to change the way um, our our region can really grow and flourish. Yeah, you go ahead. You know, I want to. I'd like to highlight the issue of equity 
So NOACA's long-range plan is titled E-NEO 2050, an equitable future for Northeast Ohio. The E is for equity. And when we started developing that plan, we were thinking of equity um, in many facets, starting with our racial um, equity statement, uh, moving with our geographic equity, with our modal equity, and thinking about how all of that plays out in the region. And when you think about transportation investments, making sure that the investments, which have been so heavily poured into um, the automobile and to the roadways that support those automobiles, uh, we need to make sure there's equity in alternate forms of transportation. We've been heavily investing in bicycle and pedestrian facilities as, long as, as well as public transit. And then we've recently started investing in the connection between alternate fuels and transportation. So we are using our congestion mitigation air quality dollars to install 70 EV chargers at 40 stations across the five county region. Those will be in public areas. And one of the main reasons we've chosen public areas is for the issue of equity. Um, particularly when you think of where do most people charge? Well, they charge at home. And that's great if you live in a home that is a single occupancy home where you have a garage you could pull into and plug into. If you live in a multifamily home in an apartment, not so much. And so we need to make sure that there's opportunity for everyone to participate in the solutions and being able to drive a, an EV um, if they want to. Yes, I'm glad you brought up EVs. I want to circle back to that, but I want to stay on the topic of equity for a little bit. And I'm wondering if you could just set the stage for us by describing what inequity looks like and how that creates that disproportional effect on communities of color around climate change and the effects of climate change that we mentioned a little bit earlier. Divya, do you want to start? All right, thank you for that. Um, so every map in Cleveland um, looks the same. It's a redlining map. The compounding effects are the same for air quality, for food security, for housing insecurity, and everything. So we've been looking at all these things in silos, right? Um, so when we talk about uh, air quality, it's extremely important that we understand several other things. We look at the um, urban, I mean, the heat index. You look at the tree canopy. You have um, far fewer trees. You have higher heat index in some of these neighborhoods. Um, some of these neighborhoods that are highly impacted, Slavic village and um, um, some parts of um, um, uh, you know, the um, Lee Harvard miles, all of them some, um, along the industrial valley too, breathing that air. Um, low, air um, low tree canopy, high heat index, um, responses, EMS responses, um, sometimes uh, depending on access to making those calls and responses are limited. Um, what do you get in there in terms of your nutrition? Far less limited. And what do you have in there? Grocery stores? No, you have corner stores there selling your, um, um, uh, selling more um, cigarettes and and um, um, beef jerky. Everything that has those compounded effects happens there. Now, if we are, when we start to think about air quality in there, respiratory issues, asthma, um, access to proper medication is limited. Um, you also have children on all these schools, right? Um, and then you add in there the you know, rising heat, which we are now beginning to face a lot of. Um, these are also um, neighborhoods that have what's called the high energy burdens. Um, some of these energy burdens are the, the proportion of your um, annual income that you spend on utility bills, uh, your water bills, your energy bills. 
Um, I mean, if you look at the list of things that you want to do when you have a poor air quality day, we're asking people to stay indoors. We're asking people to have air purifiers, turn on the air conditioning if you can, especially on high heat days, you have um, higher incidences of heat stroke that's going to compound to those, um, you know, those impacts. Um, we're asking all these things of people who are highly burdened and do not have the infrastructure to do that. So how do we start to think about our programming, whether it comes to um, you know, doing um, tree planting or whether it is to create um, other kinds of energy programming, we begin to look at where we have our impacts most. So again, um, so when we start to think about um, putting in solar panels to reduce, um, uh, you know, so that people, we need to start thinking about where we are putting it and what kinds of creative programming and who are all the partners we have in the room to bring this, to make this to happen, because that's when they can, um, maybe as a family or a family of five families that share three rooms that can be air conditioned for 15 people on these days, we still need to make those access points happen. So we need to start thinking about programming there. So that's the only way we can do that. Now, when we start to think about schools, schools, uh, we need to have enough infrastructure with the information that we have ahead of time. If we have our air quality alerts ahead of time, we figure out a way for our emergency responses then to um, build in sufficient buffer time and then programming on the other side for our schools to be equipped with better nurses and nebulizer. Remember that sometimes our health insurances or lack thereof only allow people to have one inhaler, one nebulizer. These have to be shared across, um, you know, at home and your school. How do we think through timing of these things so we can um, uh, make sure they're able to carry these things in time. Um, how do we set up school and library infrastructures to be able to respond to some of these things? So our inequities e exist right under our noses um, when we turn in the right direction of where those inequities are compounded right now. So um, these are things that um, the, the rising heat and air quality together are going to uh, create havoc um, especially if we start to think about climate refuge and other things, bringing more people in here, we're not going to make it easier on, we're going to make it harder on the people who are already here. Um, we're going to extract more resources, we're going to do those things, so we need to ensure that the equity here is addressed. We're not going to be able to do that right away, but we need to start thinking about shared mechanisms of setting up infrastructure um, to begin to address this before we start um, you know, the single family homes, uh, you know, or, you know, double. So um, I, think, I think thinking about this in a shared system mm -hmm. to address those compounding, in, um, um, you know, inequities is, I think, um, a starting point for us to look at. Yeah, and I hadn't considered, you know, thinking about Northeast Ohio as a climate refuge destination, like you mentioned, like we should be thinking about how we're utilizing and sharing our resources that we have, especially when we have to think about expanding that to other, more people. Um, let's talk a little bit more about those EVs. And I wanna ask the question of what's different between an air quality day, a poor air quality day due to wildfire smoke compared to a poor ozone day. And how can we sort of, as residents, as community members um, maybe help limit our impact on ozone in a way that we can't sort of control our impact on those wildfires. Yeah, I'll take this one. Uh, so with the wildfires, it's just mitigating exposure. Uh, we can't stop the smoke from coming into the Cleveland area, unfortunately. Um, 
I know my director wanted large fans blowing the opposite <laughs> way, uh, but uh, for ozone, we actually have the opportunity to prevent an ozone exceedance. Uh, so it's very important when NOACA puts out their uh, alerts uh, that people are aware what that means. Uh, if you know, we want people to you know uh, drive together, take public transit. Don't wait to fuel your car till dusk. Uh, don't cut your grass that day. Um, there's a lot of uh, small things that can add up because um, sometimes it's just one or two uh, parts per billion that we're exceeding, and those small things uh, do make a difference. Uh, so. And Grace, I know you um, at NOACA have your um, EV project going on in the works, but can you tell us a little bit about how EVs can benefit um, our impact on ozone? Sure. So obviously, when you are driving an electric vehicle, and we have to assume that when you're driving that electric vehicle, that the electricity is coming from clean energy. So we're still a little bit far away from that, but let's assume moving forward, that's where we are. Um, so using... Um, electricity from clean energy rather than fossil fuels absolutely stops the emissions of some of the things we've been talking about, like particulate matter and uh, carbon monoxide and et cetera, et cetera. So um, those volatile organic compounds are just not in the air. And I'm, I'm more of the policy person, not the technical person. Um, but when we're thinking about how that works, it's really a policy change. And so it's about saying, yes, the science is already proven. We know that. I don't need to explain that. It's there. Um, that science about uh, shifting from fossil fuels to clean energy um, makes sense and makes our environment a healthier place. And um, I, I think that's really the key. Um, you know, one of the things that I like to talk about when we try to make the case about EVs or any other aspect of uh, technology changes that may seem initially uh, far away or may initially seem cost prohibitive, um, it's actually not so much cost prohibitive uh, if you think about the opportunity cost. So as capitalists, um, I say, you know, you need to look at the numbers and just lost work days alone from poor air quality days in one year, this was 2016, 63,606 days that are valued at $12.7 million. Wow. So, and there's, there's a whole lot more around that and you look at mortality mm -hmm. and you look at um, the health impacts and you say, yes, we can do this. Uh, we can certainly change to a cleaner way to transport ourselves. Um, and before we move into Q&A, Divya, you mentioned a lot of the need for collaboration to sort of kind of check all these boxes around climate resiliency. And I'm wondering if you could just describe not only the collaboration between your agencies here today, but maybe a greater sense of collaboration when we think about reaching out to, you know, other parts of the state or other states all together to see how they're handling not only um, wildfire smoke, but other effects of climate change that could be impacting their air quality. You know, if I can start that by saying that uh, NOACA's EV charging program um, as a metropolitan planning organization is the first in the country. So we're actually leading 
and others are following our example, which I think is outstanding because we know in Northeast Ohio, we're leaders on many things and let's start being leaders um, in areas that we know matter to us and matter to the rest of the country. Um, we also have the Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act that was passed in uh, November of 2021. That's gonna give us additional resources for many things related to energy, related to transportation and economic development. They're also very um, uh, linked. And when we have that ability to reach out to the federal government to get funding for these initiatives, that makes it so much easier to implement. Oftentimes we have great plans. They sit on shelves for the most part because we don't have the funds to implement. We now have the funds to implement. And specifically to the EV, we currently have an application into the federal government for the five counties for the phase two. So we did phase one, we wanna implement phase two, and we've requested about $15 million to do that. Brian, anything to add? Sure. Yeah, I actually wanted to give a shout out to NOACA because I think they started this EV planning even before the IRA uh, we programs <laughs> were launched. These were in conversation two, three years um, ago. Um, so this is um, a really a good testament to the um, pro uh, thinking here um, ahead of that. Um, so, Divya, thank you. We will make sure, uh, we'll invite you to the groundbreaking. We will have our first uh, station installed um, in the fall. Love that. Exciting. Got to keep an eye out for that for yes. sure, for all my EV people here. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I actually also want to share that there are some other collaborative um, areas of work that's happening, right? These are all connected with one another. Um, there's lots of grants out there. There's lots of opportunities out there, collective, you know, collective lobbying around these kinds of things. Um, um, just to throw a few um, up, uh, out there, there is a... Um, there, uh, recently, so there is ways that um, these grants are coming out uh, from the federal government. It's really important for us to show strength in collaboration across the region, across state, um, in some cases across um, different um, cities and states. So um, there is a um, solar grant out there that regionally we are pursuing. Um, it, two different um, mechanisms of pursuing. Um, one, in fact, the state is leading that through the um, air quality department, um, bringing some other cities across um, Ohio to partner, Cleveland will be partnering with them. Um, and then Cleveland's also a partner with other cities um, in Ohio and across other states to think about addressing some of these issues collaboratively so we can address energy um, issues um, together and show strength in numbers around and, and learn from each other and how we want to program for each, um, you know, our place. Um, there is um, the other thing that the city of Cleveland partnered with um, Cincinnati, Dayton, Toledo, um, and other places to um, submit a um, proposal that just got accepted around better building standards. Those things are going to be extremely important for us mm -hmm. as we talk about the built environment causing 40% of the emissions. Um, so that, so that's, a, that's another way that we are working together. Um, I want to shout out um, the Power Clean Future Ohio team that's uh, bringing, giving a lot of technical support to uh, 
building programs around um, electrification and energy transitions, um, EV. Um, so as we talk about air quality, it's important we have our major fleets and major school I mean, you know, school districts think about um, electric fleets. Um, groups like PCFO are providing that kind of technical resource for um, municipalities across the state uh, um, to take advantage of some of this. This is very unique to Ohio, and they are, of course, uh, looking to see how they can lead the way so others can learn from something like this. Um, there's an HB um, 197, I think. That's a community solar bill that um, regionally everybody is banding across to make community solar more accessible. Again, all these things are really important. I think the first pilot is happening in one of the Appalachian um, um, neighborhood um, um, cities or towns. Um, and there is... Um, so, so we could go on. Um, also, that the Cleveland Tree Coalition submitted a nice collaborative um, um, grant um, to the federal government recently, um, partnering with the Northeast Ohio folks, but also uh, constantly being in touch with the state forester to make sure that we are not losing opportunities that we can benefit from, looking at it from all kinds of angles. That we, so I think it's we are beginning to build that um, shed of uh, partnership and I think it's just important that while we build it across in our own areas, we build it across in, you know, um, um, thinking about out-of-the-box out of partnerships, um, where they align as well. You know, um, I would like to make sure before we get to questions that we highlight a major partnership here in Northeast Ohio, and that's between NOACA and the city of Cleveland. Uh, we are the lead in a climate pollution reduction grant, a million dollars, um, as part of the $5 billion um, Inflation Reduction Act set aside for climate action. And that's a really important thing. The city of Cleveland has its plan, NOAC is developing its plan, but it's gonna take changes in behavior at the commercial, industrial, uh, residential transportation sectors to move us forward and getting that million dollars and working side by side to ensure that everything is done at a regional level so that all parts of the region because we have urban we have rural and we have suburban and they all have different impacts of climate change as well as impacts to climate change uh, we need a lot of action and we just received notice on August 1st of that million dollar uh, grant, so I just wanted to make sure we get that in. Yeah, for sure, yeah. thank you. Thank you. Yes, thank you. I'd like to say one thing. Sure, go ahead, yeah. The one more thing I want to share is when we talk about the when we talk about our consumption patterns, all this aligns to our consumption patterns, right? How we think, how we consume. It's a metabol. It is an urban metabolism. It is a um, regional metabolism um, habit. So when we start to think about how we consume, how we dispose, it gets really. Um, it starts to really show those partnerships automatically. There are circular cities across diff different um, um, across the country popping up in different uh, places across the world. It's important for us not just to partner on programs, but just to learn from other people on how they're doing some of these things. Cleveland is a part of the Ellen MacArthur Foundation Network and others that can leverage some of this information. But I will stop with that. <laughs> Thank you. Lots of good information, lots of good collaborative work going on in the city. So that's good to hear, very good to hear. 
We're about to move into our audience Q&A portion. I'm Zaria Johnson, reporter and producer at IdeaStream Public Media and moderator for today's conversation on climate change's role in air quality. We're here broadcasting live in the plaza at Playhouse Square, part of City Club's free Friday forums this August. Today, we are joined by Grace Gallucci with NOACA, Brian Sokolowski with the Cleveland Department of Public Health's Division of Air Quality, and Divya Sridhar with Cleveland Neighborhood Progress. We welcome questions from everyone, City Club members, guests, students, and those joining via our live stream at cityclub.org or live radio broadcast at 89.7 WKSU Idea Stream Public Media. If you'd like to text a question for our speakers, please text it to 330-541-5794. That's 330-541-5794. And City Club staff will try to work it into the program. Can we have our first question, please? Your last comments were a perfect segue into my question. Perfect. Large corporations are both in the position of being able to make the greatest contribution to improving air quality, while at the same time, sometimes being the worst offenders. How do we get politicians to make the penalties that corporations have to pay significant enough? Because right now, they're so little, they'd rather pay them than do the right thing. Thank you. Thank you. Anyone want to start with that one? <laughs> It's kind of a loaded question, huh? Well, I, I, I think you have to look at it as, you know, as we've been planning for the development of this climate action plan, and we're doing, by the way, lots of public outreach right now, which is a key component of the climate action plan. We need to hear from you. Um, at the end of the day, we need behavior changes. We need to understand what you are willing to do and how much impact that will have. And sometimes you're not necessarily able to tell us what you're willing to do until you understand that that impact. Um, and um, I'm sorry, were we, we were talking about? Uh, yeah, um, any potential to get po politicians to increase those sort of penalties for big corporations to push them towards sustainability and green. Yeah, I think I intentionally wanted to move past <laughs> yeah, that. Yes, so, so but, but, <laughs> but actually, so it's about behavior, period. When we look at what we've been doing in our climate action plan, the inventory suggests that industrial is not the uh, single largest anymore in the United States. In Northeast Ohio, it still is, but only by a hair. Transportation is huge. So let's think about what we can do from a transportation perspective, and then you go into some of the other things like residential. What are all of the changes? And I, I think we do need to look at what's important um, in making those differences, and I'll leave uh, the political decisions to the politicians. Uh, my job is to make sure that we give them all the best information that we can so they can make the best decisions. So it sounds like the residential transportation checkers might be a bit more uh, easy to grasp, easier to get our hands around right now. Well, the, you can break them up into smaller pieces. It's really hard, other than if you get into the consumerism aspect, to um, have a great impact on uh, either commercial or um, industrial pollutants. But your residential, your transportation, you can have an impact today today, walk home, you'll have an impact. 
Can I share just how excited I am that I think 2022 saw the highest number of sustainability directors being recruited in the private sector? That must mean something, right? I mean, there is consumer demand that's coming. SEC is putting high pressure down the throat of these companies to respond to some of these things. And when these companies really respond, there's lobbying that happens there. That's money that goes there. So um, so I'll, I'll leave it at that, that companies are paying attention to this. but while we sort of start to think about some of these things, it's, it's great for us to think about good, solid projects that can show impact at the public scale that we can then take to their CSR teams to have them start to show um, how we can leverage some of those things. But I'll also add that, you know, at the end of the day, what do they want? They want profits for their shareholders, right? That's why they exist. It's okay. That's why they exist. So how do we ensure that corporations understand the positive impact to their bottom line regarding air quality, regarding environmentalism? Just the one statistic I showed you, which is the days absent from work due to air quality issues in Northeast Ohio is nearly $13 million. Keep adding that up across the country. The corporations will notice and they will change because it benefits their bottom line. Self-interest. Yeah, for sure. Thank you for that question. All right. Uh, thank you for NOACA's uh, climate change planning. Uh, last night, we even came up with a compost, and not having children will be uh, solutions, too. Yes. <laughs> However, the question is, what you just all mentioned here, political power and inequity. Right now, the solution temporarily for air issue is, if the air quality outside is bad, go indoor. But the problem here is, due to the inequity, I will use homeless shelter as an example. The inside the air quality is even worse than outside with the uh, residues from the Canadian wildfire. So how will we, our government, city and the county, to resolve the issue for all the buildings around us, residential or business-wise, to have a good air quality for people to stay indoor while the air quality outside is bad? Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, so it sounds like, you know, when it comes to indoor infrastructure, is there anything more that we can do in the city to make the inside safe for those who might not have, be able to close their windows or be able to have AC, things like that? Well, I know there's, with the uh, Inflation Reduction Act, uh, there's a lot of money set aside. I know for schools to uh, install uh, air filtration systems, um, and I believe for businesses as well. Uh, so we have to leverage that money and uh, implement it. Uh, but you're absolutely right. Uh, a lot of times, uh, indoor air quality can be worse than outdoor air quality, especially when you look at you know mold or uh, uh, smoking or those type of things. Um, so it's uh, it's a delicate balance to look at to you know to look at where's the benefit. Mm -hmm. You know, and I just want to give a shout out to Lou. She is the citizen advocate extraordinaire. Um, thank you so much for participating in our um, public outreach and always pushing us to do better. Yeah, I see Lou at almost every meeting every I attend meeting, yeah. about climate change or environmentalism. So huge shout out to Lou. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Lows around, yeah. <laughs> thank you. Next question, please. Um, 
Yes, um, my name is Dejan Lee. I'm from MC Square Sem High School, and I came to ask you all this question. Since the air quality has been getting bad, especially where I live, what is one way that we as students can um, prevent this whole issue? Also, um, it will be. A, I'm also asking for personal concerns because, as a person in a wheelchair, um, it'll be harder for me to conserve things because sometimes I need things like paratransit or I need to spend like drive somewhere. <laughs> so. I was wondering if um, there was a way that we as students and me with a physical disability can help prevent this air quality issue, or at least help with it. Thank you. I mean, I can start by saying, first of all, thank you very much for your comments. Um, we're actually counting on you as students to lead the way uh, forward for the next generation. Um, so taking leadership roles in anything that you can around the issues of environmentalism and particularly uh, climate change is helpful. Um, doing things like participating in the work that we are undertaking is helpful. Um, I don't think that you know yourself as um, a student and a person with disability has to, um, you know, participate in the same way that others do relative to transportation. Yes, public transportation is important, and that's where we want to make sure that when we look at transportation impacts, that we're looking at equity, and we're looking at being able to provide transportation options for everyone. Yeah, and uh, uh, to me, air quality awareness is very important. Um, you know, I think no other time has air quality been on the headlines more than this past few months. So we want to continue to push people to uh, be aware of the air they're breathing, looking at going to airnow.gov, uh, really tapping into the resources that are already there, because that's really going to fuel your decisions, not only your decisions, but your family's decisions, and that can have a positive impact. Yeah, plus one to both uh, Grace and Brian on that, and I think it's really important. Your voice really matters as a student because you're, you're learning, and when you learn right, you don't have to unlearn some of those things. So it's really important we start paying attention to these kinds of things, participating in places where it really matters and lending your voice and your power to these conversations, um, and um, really asking better of those decision makers um, to be able to provide you with the resources and the infrastructure that you need, that'll keep you healthy, keeping moving forward, which means asking to asking your representatives and your school district to pursue any, every, any and every possible um, um, grant that they can leverage towards um, better, better buildings, better um, transportation, um, and, and better, uh, and, and I also want to shout out to the city of Cleveland's program that they had last year around um, having students participate in um, building um, air quality sensors on, um, on a Lego base, and that uh, creates that STEM infrastructure 
think creatively around data, around public health, bringing some of those things together and being able to then use that information, not, not just keep it in school, share this with your brothers, sisters, cousins and aunts and think about what impact you have as one person and making that, having those conversations, not in a way to say, here's what you need to do, but here's as a way to say, here's what I learned, here's what we're facing. Could we do something together with the shared learning? I, I also think young people um, can be and have demonstrated that they can be great influencers. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of the things that we're even talking about today, we would never even be talking about if it weren't for young people. The, uh, what is it, recycle, reuse, reduce, that started a lot of what we're talking about in terms of environmental movement. So remember, this world is your world. And you know we need um, you to help us support you in that world. Yeah, thank you for that question. And thank you to the students here today, too. Hi, how are you? Hi. Um, in terms of what a consumer can do to imp um, impact climate change and reduce the climate change happening, um, transportation's really important, as you said, um, reducing fossil fuel. But I wonder if you could comment on a plant-based diet and the effect of industrial animal agriculture on the environment especially in the production of methane, which is hundreds of times worse than CO2? Great question. Great. Thank you. Anyone want to start that one? Well, it's a little out of our wheelhouse. We do transportation and air quality for the most part and water quality. However, as we've been undertaking um, the climate action plan and we've been looking at inventory of the pollutants, uh, we will now be looking at risk and vulnerability and preparing an assessment around that, and then looking for mitigation and adaptation strategies. So I know we will be directing uh, the plan to address that, but I don't at this time have a whole lot to say about it other than, yes, there, uh, there are impacts and we can reduce those impacts, and hopefully one of my uh, fellow panelists might have something more. A plant-based diet definitely has much fewer emissions that it can produce than your um, meat-based diet. Think about transportation that we require for everything that we need to move from different parts of the world to uh, satisfy our taste and palate. That part of it goes both for plant and meat, right? I mean, transportation from different places. Um, but really thinking about putting our assets to good use, thinking about how what what grows regionally, what we can consume regionally, and at what amount do we need to really shift? It's not about completely eliminating, although um, I, for one, would love to see a plant-based diet take um, you know, um, the forefront, but at least the steps that we can take to minimize and start paying attention to what's on our plate is a really big step for us to um, change how we um, emit. Um, and once we emit, and, and that's not, it doesn't stop at that. Um, how do we consume um, what we buy um, effectively? How do we make sure that we don't overbuy? How do we make sure we dispose of those things in the right way, in a hierarchical way, where we make sauces, make we, you know, you reduce how much uh, food goes in the landfill 
and into the incinerators? Can we um, spread it wider? Can we cook differently? Can we compost? Can we think about all those mechanisms? Because yes, we have a huge body of water behind us, um, but right, right by, uh, right by there, our neighbors further on our west, um, they have, um, um, you know, um, nutrient leach. Right? We have algal blooms that come uh, because of our. That's again. Um, plant-based farming, and also there is, um, 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 you know, um, uh, effluence coming from um, waste fecus of um, um, cattle. So I think thinking about all these things and making sure we're not putting the onus only on our residents and our consumers. I think we need to have top-down approaches as well that come, um, you know, in, in, in partnership. Otherwise, the weight is just too much for people to um, hold. Thank you. We may need to move into our Q&A portion, but I see you and our panelists may be hanging out to answer any other questions we might have today. Thank you for that. <laughs> Thank you again to our panelists for joining us at the City Club today. Today's forum is part of City Club in the Community, presented in partnership with Bank of America. Today's forum is also part of our Sustainable NEO series in collaboration with the Northeast Ohio Regional Sewer District. The City Club is grateful for the continued support of each of these partners. The City Club's final forum out, is outdoor live at Playhouse Square next Friday, August 25th. Janice Contreras, Executive Director of the Northeast Ohio Hispanic Center for Economic Development, will be joined by Councilwoman Jasmine Santana for a discussion about entrepreneurship and investment in Cleveland's Hispanic community. You can learn more about this forum and others at cityclub.org. And that brings us to the end of today's forum. Thank you once again to Grace, Brian, and Divya. And thank you, members and friends of the City Club. I'm Zaria Johnson, and this forum is now adjourned. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you all. For information on upcoming speakers or for podcasts of the City Club, go to cityclub.org. Production and distribution of City Club forums on IdeaStream Public Media are made possible by PNC and the United Black Fund of Greater Cleveland Incorporated.